0: Singing this song, number two of that last uh, hymn, 404, it says, When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. I want you to think about that and be honest with me for a minute. When darkness veils Christ's face, when it seems like Christ doesn't love you, when your life is miserable, when the storm comes, what do you do? How do you trust in this Jesus? I think that's a a common problem for all Christians. I think we all go through storms. I think we all sometimes feel abandoned by God in many ways. We have times of darkness. And we see that with Job, right? Job is, is afflicted by permission of God to Satan. And what happens near the end of Job? God speaks, doesn't he? And what does God say? Who are you? to question me. And did we just not sing that in the Behold Our God song, right? Who counsels God? Nobody, because God is the counselor. And so how do we think about Christ? How do we contemplate Jesus when we're in a storm? That's really the, the main point of our passage this morning. That's, that's what Genesis chapter 16 is all about. It is about trusting God when we don't see His promise fulfilled yet. So we're ending our Genesis season. This is the grand finale, so it will be a two-hour episode. I hope you're ready. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. I'm joking about the two hours. I know everyone's canceling their lunch plans. Genesis chapter 16, and we have the story of of Hagar and Ishmael, and we have the story about... Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai, and this is before Sarai's name is turned to Sarah, and we have this waiting on God to accomplish his plans. So what do we do? How do we handle waiting on God to accomplish his plans? I would say that a lot of us will try to use our timing, and so I I wrote this little thing out that I thought was quite clever, so I have to share it God's plan in God's timing will always be better than your plan in your timing. God's plan in God's timing will always be better than your plan in your timing. Your timing is going to add complications, and that's what we see in our passage. So we see how God uses His methods to accomplish His plan, and we see how human beings try to use their methods to accomplish God's plan, and we'll see that there is complications. So let's pray this morning before we begin the study of the Word. Father, Your Word speaks truth. It strengthens us when we are tempted to cast about for any hope that is outside of You, that when we look for any solid rock apart from the rock of Christ, that it will sink, that it will be covered up, and that we will drown. So Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who is discouraged, who feels as if God has abandoned them, that they would recognize that God does not change. He is unchanging. And so when darkness hides the face of Christ, we will trust in His unchanging grace, that we will rest on the solid rock. Father, uh, we lift up the, the nations that are martyring Christians. Father, we know that nothing happens by accident, that You are sovereign, You are in control. And we pray for those uh, Christians who are suffering at the hands of brutal uh, people. Lord, I, I think I read somewhere that every two hours there's a Christian that's being killed in Nigeria, I believe is the country that they mentioned. Every two hours a Christian is being killed for their faith. Yet we sit here and we complain about the air conditioning or the heat or the, the comfort of our, of our chairs. Lord, I pray that you would give us an, an eternal and a, and a worldwide perspective that we would not remain um, shallow in our understanding of who you are, that we can trust you even when you slay us, even when we die. Father, we pray for these things. We, We lift up your name. You are holy and we are not. You are God and we are not. And we long to worship you and your perfection. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we, as we approach this passage, the first thing we see is that there is an issue, and the issue comes from God has promised Abraham a child, and that child will be the father of, of, of nations. There will be nations upon nations, and their, their, their numbers are going to be vaster than the sea or the sand by the ocean. It's going to be vaster than all the stars in the sky, the offspring. And Abraham's not so, so young anymore, is he? He's, he's kind of aged a little bit. And his wife, Sarai, soon to be Sarah, has also aged. And so Abraham is probably about in his 90s, give or take, a couple years right now. And it's been 10 years since they've entered the promised land. 10 years and still no child. So that's the issue. The issue is there is no child. Look at verse 1. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not born any children for him. Man, how heartbreaking. Have you ever talked to a a mom or a woman who who is unable to conceive children on their own? It's devastating, right? They feel inadequate, maybe some insecurity. And so the, the promise comes up. God just got done doing a covenantal promise with Abraham, and yet still we have this issue of, but he has no kids. But what what does the text tell us? It says, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So we start to see this worldly suggestion. So she herself cannot bear children. She has not been able to bear children. She's probably in her 70s, 80s, somewhere around there. Um, Probably past the time of childbirth, even for those extended years, remember the, uh, the patriarchs, we, we see that they have a longer lifespan. Um, even with that, she is unable to get pregnant. Um, I'm sure she feels the weight of the inadequacies, and she has this desire to contribute. And remember that children were also your life insurance policy. Children were also your, um, your hospice care. Children were the ones that will take care of you in your old age when you're unable to cook, to see, to do anything. So if you don't have a child... Who is going to take care of you when you get too old? So do you feel the anxiety start to build up in the life of Sarai? She's like, not only is God promising all these big things, I'm unable to do it. I can't bring a child into being. What can I do? What solution can I come up with? And so she comes up with a solution in verse 2. She gives worldly methods. This is an acceptable practice during this time. Not accept- acceptable according to Scripture, but acceptable according to the time, right? Just like we have acceptable practices that are unacceptable to God, this is what she has. Verse two, she said, Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, seems like a reasonable statement, doesn't it? God has prevented me from, so she's recognizing God in all this. God has prevented me from having a child, but it kind of seems a little accusatory, but let's go, keep going go to my slave, perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. There's no problems in that, right? You guys don't foresee any issues happening from that? That's, that's a reasonable thing, right? Use my slave, make her a wife, and then we'll have kids through her. Yeah, no problems there, right? We already know, We all know the story. But what makes someone so desperate to say, take this other woman to be a wife and have children with her so we can have children? What makes someone so desperate to do that? It's kind of a strange solution to our modern ears, but it's not uncommon, right? Not unheard of, but it is very contrary to God's divine plan because Abraham asked the same question of God last chapter, yesterday, last Sunday. And he said, but I don't have any kids, so my... Um, housekeeper Eleazar, he's going to be my, he's going to inherit everything. And what did God say? No, someone from your own body will be your seed. You will have someone from you. So Sarai now is like, well, it'll be from your body, but not mine. And so she's kind of twisting this plan. She has a, a worldly scheme. The problem, of course, is barrenness. What is the solution? Now, We would say, that seems kind of schemey, but we have our own schemes, don't we? How have you schemed in the last couple weeks to accomplish God's plan? Have you tried to manipulate someone into loving you a certain way? Have you um, possibly figured out a way to cheat the government? I know tax season is nigh upon us, right? And we're thinking about, man, I don't know if I want to pay these taxes. What if I claim... This person as a dependent, even though they're not really a dependent, right? We have our own worldly schemes. But, you know, the reason I bring up marriage so often is because I'm in a marriage. And in our marriage, we have to figure out things. And if I wanted my wife to cook dinner for me, I could could try to manipulate her, couldn't I? Um, I I heard a story about a man and a wife, and the man and a wife got into an argument. The problem was, the issue was... The argument was about 10 minutes before his favorite baseball game. 10 minutes before. So the man, realizing that this argument is ongoing and he won't be able to watch the game, runs over and apologizes to his wife, takes the blame, and says, okay, everything's good, all right, I'm going to go watch my game. Do you see what happened there? He wasn't really sorrowful for the way he acted. There was no true repentance it was just, I don't want to miss my game, so I'm going to go and make whatever I have to do. That's manipulation. That's the that's the worldly schemes of men that we use to try to get our way, to get what we want, right? Sarai wants a child. It's a reasonable request. We want to live with each other in an understanding way. But when we manipulate, when we trick, when we do things with worldly methods... We're not going to accomplish what Christ wants. What about the single woman who is like, well, I'll move in with my boyfriend because he'll love me if we sleep together, we live together. That's using worldly methods to try to accomplish a godly goal, right? If marriage is the goal, the godly goal, God honors marriage, God likes marriage. But if I try to manipulate my way into a marriage, what does that produce? Complications just like this is about to do. Hagar and and Sarai are about to have some complications. Uh, And we see that over and over again. When we use worldly methods, worldly schemes, we're going to have complications. What is the worldly scheme that we like to use when ending a marriage, when it's hard? I'm not in love anymore. God doesn't want me to be in a marriage where I'm not in love that's wrong. God wants you to stay married. That's the rule. That's the law. God's plan is for you to stay married. We better separate and find God's plan for our individual lives. I got to work on me. I'm going to tell you right now, I have a pet peeve. And I'm going to go ahead and share it from the pulpit. I really do not like the word self-care. In fact, it triggers me every time and as I was looking at a workout thing and everything in there the lady was like self-care 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 make sure you spend some time on self-care I just wanted to be like stop being so selfish you don't. if you have four kids you don't have time for self care you have time for kid care right anyways you know that's just a that's a pet peeve of mine and I'm not saying that we don't take care of ourselves but strictly speaking that's rarely the issue rarely do we forget to feed ourselves Typically, we forget to care for our children because we're so wrapped up in social media. But anyways, so we have this problem. Sarai comes up with a solution. Now, remember, Abraham also had a problem and a solution not too many chapters ago in Egypt. Just tell everybody that you're my sister. That way we won't get murdered or I won't get murdered. right? He had a plan and it did not go so well. Sarai has the same thing. And I want you to notice something about this passage. What moves... The story along is the narrative, is the dialogue, the conversation. And so Sarai goes to Abraham and she says to him, she says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so that's the problem, no children, go to my slave, perhaps through her I can build a family. And what does Abraham do? He says, no, 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 I'm going to defend her honor. I will not take a slave as my wife because there would be an imbalance in relationship, right? No, 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 I will will not defile our marriage bed. I will remain true to you and you alone, Sarai. Whatever comes of it, I'm going to do. That's not what he does, does he? He says, sure, why not? Let's just get another wife. We'll just add to it. It's God's fault that that we can't have children, so we have to do it. Can you, can you hear the justification going on in their brains? Well, God's not letting us have children, and he wants this promise to happen, so we're just going to go about it our way. He doesn't say, Sarai, you need to trust God. He says, okay. In fact, if you read this, it has the echoes of the garden of chapter 3 of Genesis, where, where Satan tempts Eve and we have the same exact language, and we have the same man response. Passivity. One of the greatest threats to the American church today is passive men. Letting sin slide. In fact, because it might benefit them a little bit. Passivity in men. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, "...the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took..." some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And if we look back at our passage here, we see that in verse 3, so Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave it to her husband. Same exact language in both passages. The fall is happening over and over and over again in Genesis. We saw that with Noah. We see it here with Abraham. Over and over again, the same pattern happens. We see something might be a good solution. Instead of following God's plan, we take our own methods into our own hands. We take it, and then we give to someone else. I want you to also notice the repetition of this word or this uh, this phrase, Egyptian slave." Do you think it's any accident that Moses, as he's writing this, doubles up and reminds us of this slave came from Egypt? She is an Egyptian slave. What happened in Egypt? Once again, Abraham's deceit is having an effect. The effect is now we have an Egyptian slave who becomes the wife of Abraham. Now, I don't want you to miss the timeline either. With all these details, we can miss the timeline. This has been 10 years in the coming. 10 years of waiting for the promised child. 10 years. Think about that, 10 years. It's not a short amount of time when you're in your 70s and 80s. We don't got a lot of time left, God. Am I going to be so old that I won't be able to play with the toddler or keep up? All right, think about what is going on. Ten years. Why are we so unwilling to wait a week, a month for God's plan to be accomplished? Would you wait ten years? What about 400 years of captivity in Egypt? The Israelites waited 400 years for freedom. And then there was a space of time where God didn't really speak between the Old Testament and the New. Are we... So impatient that we couldn't wait a year, two years, three years for God to accomplish His promise, His timeline. So verse four begins to tell us the attempted solution. Well let's finish up with three. So Sarai gives Hagar to Abraham, her Egyptian slave, and gave it to her, gave her to her husband Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. All right, emphasis on the 10 years. Then verse 4 says, He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw she that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Here become the complications. We have a split not only between the slave and her owner, but we have a split between Abraham and and Sarai, or Sarah, the complications. This worldly plan backfires, and then we see verse 5. And This is probably my favorite verse in this entire passage. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Anybody see the irony in that for just... Just abet it. Who does she blame? Abraham. It's your fault that 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 lady, that floozy, got pregnant, even though I put her in your arms. Her plan goes sour, like most of our worldly wisdom, doesn't it? And what does she do? She blames everybody but herself. You know, how often do we come up with a worldly plan? We're going to find a way to cheat the system or whatever it is. Uh, We're all about life hacks these days. They cheat the system. And who do we blame when it goes south? Who do we blame? We blame everybody else, don't we? We blame our moms, our dads. We blame our spouses. I don't understand why Abraham doesn't just take responsibility for his actions when Sarai is not taking any responsibility for her actions either quite the conflict arises because the worldly plan backfires, goes sour. I want you to take just a minute to meditate on this thought for a minute. Meditate on this passage. How often do we make a plan that we know is counter to God's wisdom and it blows up in our face? How often do you make a plan that is counter to the wisdom of God, knowingly counter I'm not talking about an accident. I'm talking about we know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't do it this way. We know that we're not supposed to act this way. And yet, it blows up in our face. And then instead of repenting, saying, God, you're right. That was dumb. I can't believe that happened. And we turn away from our foolishness. We buckle down. And instead, we blame everyone else. This is a common thing with someone who lies a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that, but if someone tells you a lie and you catch them in their lie or the lie come, become, gets found out, what do they do? They make another lie. Well, you just misunderstood the, the, what really happened was this, right? And, and we have this continuing. Instead of saying, you know what? You're right. I lied to you. That was wrong. That was wicked. I was scared of what would happen. It was sinful of me. Will you forgive me? You, go, you buckle down. This, this happens with my kids quite a lot. I'm so glad that they're not in this room. But that is the common thing, is we buckle down. We don't take responsibility. And sometimes we even get mad, don't we? We really like to get mad at someone who catches us in our lie. Man, how, how dare you question my integrity? You're like, but you just lied to me and you're found out. We blame everyone else. We don't take responsibility. One more easy illustration. Think about politicians. Just a minute. They get caught in a lie, they get caught in a scandal. What do they what do they do? If they if they will admit it, what's the next word out of their mouth? But Okay, I did sleep with all those women, and I did all those evil things. But I really had a rough childhood, and I'm getting help for it now. So have compassion on the victim. I'm the victim, right? We blame our, we get, we blame everyone but ourselves. And if if it's not a overt blaming, well, it's God's fault? God kept me barren. If I wasn't barren, I wouldn't have to go through all these hoops to try to get this other lady pregnant. That would have my baby. That would then be this thing and now I'm contemptible to my slave and she's she's being she's treating me badly this whole yarn that we make Abraham of course acts very noble right he defends Hagar doesn't he he protects her honor right so we have verse 5 she she says you know the Lord judged between me and you and she blames Abraham for all her woes and all her troubles you know it's your fault that I'm not pregnant and all that stuff and then verse 6, Abraham replies to Sarai and says, you know, don't, you know what, don't treat Hagar like that. That poor girl, she's just caught in the middle. right? And he acts like a noble man of character, and he defends her and protects her. And No, of course not. What does he do? He's like, here, take your slave. Do whatever you want. Abraham replied to Sarai, here's your slave. It's in your power. Do whatever you want to her. This is his wife now his second wife but his wife and what did he say do whatever you want to her do whatever you want so then sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her that's a lot of mistreatment for it to cause a pregnant lady to run away abraham really shows his passive character here he really just lets it all fall out instead of Stepping up and being a man and and taking responsibility for his actions and taking responsibility. He doesn't he says oh just you handle it. She's yours You know, we learn a lot about human character in this passage Uh, We do not like to wait for god's timing our impatience brings us to the point where we will do just about anything to make it happen ourselves The result is complications and even disaster I uh I've seen a lot of negative examples of this, but I've seen some good positive ones. There was a, a man in the organization that I worked for occasionally, Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. When they send a, a veteran there, they have to go through this whole week-long program. And a lot of times these guys are broken, they're hurting, they you know have drug in, drug issues in their past, post-traumatic stress. It's the whole gamut. But they have these team leaders that are guys who have gone through the program you know, several years before, and they have been in church now. They've, they've, they've developed as Christian men. And this one guy, he's a team leader. He has been waiting for his wife to return to him for about five years. Five years of trying to make it work with this woman who doesn't really want much to do with him. She doesn't want to get a divorce. She, she wants to stay married, but she's not living with him. They're not living together. They're not uh, doing anything. And he is remaining open to her. He is not looking for a new wife. He's not engaged in any kind of frivolous activity that we know of, but he is patiently waiting for God to change her heart. And he, and he shares that in these Mighty Oaks programs, that he is waiting for her. He's praying for it. And he's a, he's owning up his own junk, right? Because we know that it takes two in every relationship. And he owns that he was a terrible person, that he was sinful, that he was wicked. Um, and he is one of the most humble men that I have ever met but he has remained patiently waiting for his wife to return. And I think, I think that's, that's quite what we see here, is instead of blaming everyone else, he takes responsibility and says, I really messed up, I want to make this work, and I'm willing to wait as long as it takes for God to make that happen. And it's not been an easy road, because they still have difficult conversations, and I've seen some, some movement toward each other. They've moved into the same area. He took a job near her. That would pay a lot less than he could have gotten somewhere else. And he is willing to work. But he is being patient, even five years. How many of us are willing to wait 10 minutes? 20 minutes for the blessing that comes from the Lord? I want you to think about a time in your life where you didn't want to wait on God's timing. Maybe it was relationships. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was divine guidance. Maybe it was an illness. Maybe you are sick with something and you are ready for that thing to go away. Maybe you have a headache and it just won't stop. Are you willing for God's to, to, to wait till God's timing? Or are you going to think about doing a line of cocaine? I don't, I don't know what people do for headaches that don't go away. I'm just making up an assumption. Are you going to do anything it takes to get rid of this, even to sin, Or are you going to wait on the Lord's timing? Maybe you want so badly to be married that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get physical before your marriage. Maybe there is a career that you felt called to. Maybe God has uh, given you education and opportunities and you have this career in mind and you're waiting. You're waiting. And you're waiting. Are you willing to wait, or are you going to scheme your way into it? Maybe lie on your resume. Maybe add a little bit of fluff so that people will bring you in. You know, there's really any countless number of examples, right? We all have to wait for something. We have to wait for our relationships to get better sometimes as we work to make them better. We have to wait on careers. Uh, Sometimes you get stuck in a position at your job that you really don't want to be in and you're you're kind of tired of scrubbing toilets god has a plan are you willing to wait there really is few examples of blessing without waiting if you look at scripture blessings come through waiting but we compromise and we make our own plans which is what we see here but have you noticed what is missing from this narrative anybody notice what's missing i think the absence speaks louder than words Sarai is not described as praying for a child I don't hear anywhere in this passage where Sarai is going to God and crying out for a child all I hear is her scheming her way into things now I don't know if she did or not maybe she said a few prayers maybe she didn't but in other passages in Scripture the emphasis is always on the barren woman going to God crying out to him for a child we think about Hannah who prayed for Samuel, for a son. We think about um, even some of the, uh, the New Testament stories about the coming of the Messiah. We have John's mother also praying for a child. And so what we see is there's no prayer for this child. We see that the second point is that patient hope and fervent prayer are required while we wait for God's promises. So we don't just wait, but we also are engaged actively in worship. We are, have fervent hope, or patient hope, and fervent prayer while we wait for God's promise. But we see Hagar runs away in verse 7. So she ran away because of the mistreatment. A pregnant woman alone in the wilderness. Probably not a great place to be for any pregnant woman, much less during this time. And we see some divine intervention. I'm going to move a little faster because we're running down our time. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Notice the dialogue, of course, again, the whole discourse. She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. We see the Lord intervenes. God intervenes, and look how he intervenes. He intervenes with the angel of the Lord. This is the first time we see this this character, the angel of the Lord. Many people think that this is a uh, pre-incarnate picture of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus before he comes as a baby. And we see Christ then intervenes in Hagar's life, the first woman to be, or the first person to, to meet this this character, the angel of the Lord. And he reminds her of her position, which sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Look how he talks to her. He says, Hagar, slave of Sarai. That's how he addresses her. Man, that would be kind of, I'd be a little taken aback. No, I just ran away. I'm no, I'm nobody's slave anymore. I'm out of here. But he says, no, you are her slave, reminds her of her position. And then he tells her in verse nine, he says, go back and do what? Submit. Go back and submit to her. Think about this for a minute. As miserable and wicked as slavery is, in ancient times, it was a protection for some people. They were provided for by the benefactor. But the Lord doesn't leave her without hope. She goes back to her Lousy, no good situation. And he gives her a promise. And the verse 10, we have the promise. The same kind of language that God gave Abraham, he gives to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. And then she's going to have this son named Ishmael, which means God hears. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Her son's name is God Hears. I want this to be something that you think about this week, is that God hears the cries of the afflicted. I I can imagine that Hagar was probably crying and crying out to God as she left Sarai because she was alone, by herself, in the wilderness, possible rape or attack by any bandits that come along the way and she says god hears so her the son the name of her 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 son is that god hears god wants hagar to reminded that god hears now he recognizes that the covenant promise will not go through ishmael ishmael is not the inheritor of the promise that was given to abraham that is reserved for somebody else but she gives him a special promise that he will be as numerous as the sand or as the sea, the same kind of language with Abraham. Uh, Genesis seventeen twenty is also a repetition of that. So we saw that this angel of the Lord, this messenger, God's messenger comes to Hagar and tells her that. Uh, I want to talk really briefly about Hagar. So this this is an outcast woman, but she is the first to see the angel of the Lord. She's an Egyptian slave. And I, want, I, I think we can learn how, much out, how outcast people respond to the Lord when given an opportunity. If you are an outcast in this room, I think many of you feel that way from time to time. How does God respond to your cries? God hears the cries of the afflicted. God hears you when you cry out to Him in your pain and in your suffering. Not out of your arrogance or out of your pride, but out of your humility. God hears the humble. Paul uses Hagar as an illustration in Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31. I don't want to read this narrative, but it is instructive to us that God is merciful to the outcast, even when the result of their situation is the sin of others. Right? It's not Hagar's fault that she got pregnant, and Sarai was a jerk to her, but she was an outcast. In fact, when Ishmael is 13, he's circumcised with Abraham, which is a practice that many Arabs continue today. Uh, When the boy is 13, he gets circumcised. Uh, It's a reminder to them that they come from the line of Abraham through Ishmael. Many Arabs will trace their lineage through Ishmael, which really does begin to explain why there's so much Israeli-Arab conflict in the Middle East. It's prophesied here. It's uh, it's something that's still playing out today. Look back at what it says. It says in verse 12, This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. We, we all see the results of this sinful behavior from Abraham and Sarai. It's still playing out today. We, can, we could trace the cause and effects all the way from Egypt, where Abraham lied and then acquired a bunch of slaves, and then Hag- or Sarai and Abraham come up with a plan, and then we have this birth of Ishmael 4,000 years later. We still, we still see the results of this decision The effects of sin really do carry on, don't they? Your sin affects your family. The things that you do affect others. The wicked behavior, the impatience that you have play out over and over again. Not just for the others, but also for yourself. How many of you have have been impatient for a donut this week? Now, I'm not saying it's a sin. It could be if you're diabetic and you're going to spike your blood sugar. I get it. But how many of us have been impatient for a donut? And then the next 20 minutes later somebody comes in with some snacks. And you're like, "Well, I already had a donut, so I might as well have this snack." Right? When when we are impatient, when we are we lose our self-control, it becomes harder and harder to be self-controlled, doesn't it? When we fall prey to something, we tend to continue down the same pattern. But Hagar hears the promise and obeys the Lord. This is what's so fascinating. Sarai, Abraham's wife, doesn't obey the Lord, but this Hagar does. And she has a faithful response. 13 through 14, record her faithful response. And she says in verse 13, so she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy, which means God sees me. So we have God hears, Ishmael, El Roy, God sees me. So not only does God hear, he also sees. For she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? That is why the well is called Bir Laharoy. It is between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar gives birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. She responds positively to God's promise to her. Then she returns to Abraham and Sarai. So not only does she say, okay, God hears me, God sees me, God has intervened in my life, she then obeys the God. She says, okay, I'm going to go back to this terrible, no-good situation because God has commanded me to go back. She returns and gives birth to Ishmael. These last two verses will conclude the Hagar-Sarai narrative. Now I want you to turn your thoughts back to uh, to Sarai for a moment. So think about Sarai. We're back with Sarai. She acted impatiently instead of trusting God for the promise. Then the complication of her slave becoming pregnant, she then chases off her slave, Hagar, who returns with a promise. So think about Sarai for a moment. She is being unfaithful, yet hagar who she chased off comes back with a promise not only a promise but a son and what is the name of that son god hears think about that for a minute let it sink into your brain god hears god hears go get the water god hears go grab the camel god hears where are you god hears god hears where are you Every single day for the rest of her life, she's going to be reminded. Well, until later down the road. But every single day, she's going to be reminded of one thing. God hears. God hears. So if you really want to remind yourself that God hears, name your child God hears, right? Uh, God sees. But think about that. You're Sarai. You are impatient for the Lord. You went through all this rigmarole. God provides a child and then a reminder to you every single day that you should have been praying to God, not coming up with your own complications. God hears. Man, I think we need that reminder, don't we? How often do we stop and pray when things are going bad? How often are we reminded that God hears? How humbling for Sarah or Sarai. God hears is running around reminding her that God hears. She should have just waited patiently with hope and prayed fervently for the Lord who hears because God hears. I want to ask the question as we close, do you believe that? Do you believe that God hears? Do you believe that God sees? He promises to accomplish His promises While we wait here on this earth, some promises are accomplished quickly, some take longer. God promises to make His people holy. Think about that for a minute. God promises to make His people holy. And some days we are so wrapped up in sin, we're like, God, I want that promise right now. And we have to wait because God hears. He promises that... We will um, not have to worry about death or sorrow anymore. And yet people are dying to the right and the left. but there's no graves in heaven. God hears. God promises to make his people holy. Are you impatiently praying? Are you patiently praying to God who hears? Or are you taking matters into your own hands and making a mess of things? Do you need a reminder that God hears? Maybe have a child and name that child God Hears. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, But get a sticky note. Write down God Hears and put it on your mirror. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it everywhere that you can see it. Put it on the screensaver on your phone. God Hears. As you are waiting patiently for the promises that God has promised, do you trust that God hears? Do you believe it? Well, then act like it. If we believe that God hears, God sees, and God intervenes, then why do we not act like it? That's your challenge this week. Can you act like God hears your prayers and He knows what's best for you? That He sees and that He intervenes. Can you do that this week? As we approach the Resurrection Sunday, I want to encourage you to invite people to know the risen Savior. Bring them to church, invite them, be waiting for an email. I got a bunch of suggestions that we can do to make this much more smooth if people come to visit, where to park, um, and just some good general welcoming, inviting kind of um, suggestions. I heard a story uh, this week about a young man in our congregation who took one of the invitations from the back, made copies of it, and invited his classmates. And he said he wanted people to know Jesus. That was an encouragement to me that this young boy was willing to be embarrassed by his classmates who might make fun of him. And we can't even invite our neighbors as grown adults because we don't want them to think we're weird. So that's a challenge to us as well. Do we believe God hears and God sees? Let's close in prayer. Lord, as we approach this week, I pray that we are reminded that you hear and you see. Lord, I pray that we will not complicate matters with our own foolish, selfish, worldly plans to accomplish what we think that you want. Lord, help us to trust fully in you, put our faith and our hope in you. And even when the uh, frowning providence shows its face, we know that there's a smile behind it. Uh, Father, we're reminded that even when darkness clouds Christ's shining face, that we know that you have unchanging grace and that you have a plan for us, for our good, not for our harm, that we would grow faithfully in you. Lord, we pray for our Easter Sunday service, that those who do not know you as their personal Savior would get to know you. They would have this trust and this hope. That we have and that it would be a hope that lasts that they would see who you are that they would behold our God seated on his throne uh, causing us to worship father we pray that this week we pray for those who are struggling who are sick that you would uh, comfort them that you would make them well that you would bring them into greater joy in you they would find more happiness in you than in any thing of this world. Father, we ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ through the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.